My time has come. To let the Undertaker rest in Salutations, Marks. It's your boy, Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Oh, yes! Ball Bearer. And welcome to another installment of Babble Mania. This episode is a special episode. We are going to be talking about, running through, breaking down Survivor Series 2020. I'm not going to keep you waiting. Thank you, Undertaker. Let's get hairy. Yowie wowie. Yowie freaking wowie. Survivor Series 2020 is in the books, and I am still riding the wave of just being completely satisfied, to be completely honest. Now, I'm obviously going to break this down match by match, and you know, talk about each thing and how I felt about it, because that's that's what we do here on Babble Mania. But the first thing that I want to say before I start running through the card is sometimes things happen that are so good that you have to step away from being super analytical and diving deeply into things and just be a, a fucking wrestling fan. And take it for what it is. And try not to think about what could have happened. Think about what did happen. And find some type of positive in that. Um, Yeah. With that being said, let's get into it. First match of the night was the men's traditional Survivor Series 5-on-5 match. Um, Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, Riddle... uh, AJ Styles, Sheamus, duking it out against Seth Rollins, King Corbin, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, and, oh my goodness, who is the fit? Otis! Yes, Otis. Um, first of all, Keith Lee finally got his new entrance theme, and I think it's really, really good. And you could tell that he really likes it, because he walked out with a big old smile on his face, and... He was carrying himself in like a different light. He was like, yeah, this new entrance is about to blow people away. And because of that, it did blow me away. I'm really, really happy with his new entrance theme. I think it fits him. It was great. Um, This match was honestly super surprising. This match went pretty much the exact opposite of what I thought it was going uh, to be like. I thought that Team SmackDown was going to win this match because Team Raw never found a way to be cohesive, and we would see them, you know, get knocked out one by one by one because of their ability to fall apart, and SmackDown would prevail. Um, If you would have told me that Seth Rollins was not only going to be the first person eliminated from this match, but his elimination would come from a self-sacrifice, I would have called you a liar. Seth Rollins 
entire time in this match was very strange and questionable. He was in a mood. And he walked down to that ring, and he tagged himself in with such vindication that when he dropped on his knees in front of Sheamus and held his arms out, I was like blown away. Because I thought that he was about to get in there and maybe take out some some inner frustrations and just handle business. Um, I honestly thought that Sheamus was going to be the first one to be eliminated. And then he dropped down on his knees and he held out his arms and he told Sheamus to do what he needed to do or something like that. And then Sheamus broke kicked him, pinned him, one, two, three, and he was out. And we got this moment where he was rolled out of the ring and the rest of his teammates just like shit-talked him. <laughs> Kevin Owens said, uh, you're always going to be a piece of crap, ain't you? You're always going to be a piece of trash, aren't you? And I, I was just like, what is, like, I know that Seth Rollins is probably going to be dipping for a little while, you know, because of uh, his child being brought into this world probably very soon. Um, but I did not know that it was going to be like that. And I really, really liked it. It was just him being like, I have no reason to do this anymore because my disciple turned his back on me and beat me. It's It was an insane way for him to kind of go away for a little while. And that's what I expect. I expect him to be gone now for a bit. Um, it was nuts. Just absolutely groundbreaking. That was when the... The, the wrestling fan inside of me was like, oh, you done messed up. Your predictions are going to be completely wrong. <laughs> um, Keith Lee and Otis facing off was really fun. Just two meaty men just going at it. Uh, really liked it. Um, one thing that I didn't understand was Kevin Owens is getting pinned and Jay Uso was on the outside of the ring and he's just watching it happen. He doesn't jump in the ring to, to break the three count up. He doesn't do that. He just lets Kevin Owens get eliminated. And the reason it's a problem for me is because at one point, somebody from Raw was about to get out. They were about to get pinned, and two people from the team jumped into the ring to break the three count up. That's why, for me, it felt weird just knowing that Jay watched Kevin Owens get pinned and didn't do anything about it when he was obviously very able to do so. Um, very strange. Raw looked surprisingly cohesive during this match. Um, I think all of the falling apart and non-ability to be a cohesive team for the past few weeks was basically made so when we did watch this match, we would be, like, mesmerized by, by Raw. Um... Otis had a great moment of showmanship. Uh, the spotlight was on him for a bit, and he was just throwing everybody around. It was really, really good. I liked it. Um, I thought the end of this match was incredible. At some point, every single member of SmackDown has been eliminated, and nobody on Raw has been eliminated. So we have a five-on-one scenario, and Jey Uso has to somehow defy the odds and come out on top. And at, at, at one point, he is super kicking absolutely everybody. But then, then, Keith Lee secretly tags himself in. And Jey Uso 
goes up to the top rope to hit the Uso splash, and when he jumps, he just lands on the shoulders of Keith Lee. And Keith Lee doesn't even buckle. He doesn't even move. He just catches Jey Uso like Jey Uso is a cat falling out of a tree. And then he just hits him with like the best, biggest spirit bomb I've ever seen and pins him for a shocking, clean sweep for Team Raw. And I was blown away. This was really good because it surprised the hell out of me. I really enjoyed this match. It made Raw look very, very good, very powerful. And right off the bat, I am 0-1 in my predictions. Uh, we move on to the second match of the night, which was the New Day versus the Street Profits. The match that I thought was going to be match of the night, the match that I thought was going to steal the show, and the match that I was the most excited for on this card. Um, New Day comes down to the ring wearing their Gears of War gear, which I thought was absolutely sick. If you are not aware, uh, the New Day are officially downloadable characters that you can obtain in Gears 5 in the multiplayer uh, platform. And that's awesome, especially knowing that Xavier Woods is like the big old video game nerd that he is. Uh, also, shouts out to Xavier Woods for winning Content Creator of the Year at the Esports Awards. Um, that's absolutely bonkers. Good for him, very happy for him. They came down to the ring wearing this gear, and it was so sick. And, you know, we got a traditional New Day entrance once again, with Big E being involved. And they were wearing their Gears gear. Uh, the trombone, Francesca 2, if I'm not mistaken, had like a chainsaw on the end of it. It was so cool. I love when wrestlers do stuff like that. Uh, before the Street Profits came out, they had a bit of a pre-match promo. That was absolutely insane. Like, the energy that those two men conveyed before their music hit was unbelievable. And when they walked out, I was completely aware of the amount of charisma that was in that room. Like, it was just bursting through the ceiling. This was a very good match. It was a very showing match. They did so well. It was a very clean tag team bout. First of all, what does Montez Ford eat and do to do the things that he does. His legs are springs or something. I don't know what that man does on a daily basis to achieve the things that he does as far as vertical leaping goes, but it's absolutely insane. Uh, this match was actually, to be as good as it was, it was really short. Um, very short. And I think that the ending was what I thought it would be. It would be a moment of like the New Day doing everything that they can and doing a fantastic job, but the Prophets just being just a smidge bit better. And that's what it was. They get a huge win, probably the biggest win of their career, um, with an even bigger blockbuster. It was, it was nuts. Angelo Dawkins hoisting up, I believe, Xavier Woods, yes, on his shoulders, and Montez Ford just hitting him with a gigantic blockbuster and getting the pinfall victory. Uh, really, really good. The 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 mutual respect at the end is what did it for me. Just the, the fist bumps, the handshakes, the hugs. Just an overall good scene. And I, I think that's why I'm okay with the Prophets winning. The, um, yeah, I've talked about it 
for the past couple of weeks how the New Day has left these gigantic shoes that uh, may never be filled, and it's going to take someone big and someone just as charismatic as them to fill those shoes. Um, I don't think this was a passing of the torch moment, to be completely honest. I think this was the New Day helping a team solidify their careers. Um, the truth is there, there, there will never, ever be another New Day. The New Day is the best team to come out of the WWE in the last decade. Um, I loved Edge and Christian. I loved the Hardy Boys. I loved the Dudleys. But I personally believe that the New Day is the most decorated tag team of all time in the WWE. And they have created this insane legacy that will never, ever go away. And it's it's not going to do anything but continue to get better and better, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think that the Street Profits are going to take their place. I don't think that the Street Profits are going to be pushed as the team that's going to take their place. But I do think that the Street Profits are fantastic. And I think that this was a career-defining moment for their future long careers. Um... This brings my predictions up to one and one, and this was a great match. I wish it was a little bit longer, and I'll kind of touch on that here in a little bit. Um, but with that being said, we move on to the third match of the night, which was Sami Zayn versus Bobby Lashley. Now, this match was, in my opinion, in retrospect, probably the worst match on the card. There was lots of great trash talk from Sammy. Really, really good trash talk, which isn't surprising. It's, it's what you expect of Sami Zayn. Um, it was, in my opinion, very brilliant of him to turn it on the Hurt Business for being ringside. And I, I agree with Sammy. I think it's ridiculous that MVP Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin surrounded the ring with his match going on. I I totally understand where Sammy is coming from. And I just think it was really smart of him to turn it on that factor. And we're going to see that in the future. Like that's something that's going to pop up for the next few weeks from Sami Zayn. He's going to talk about how the reason he lost at Survivor Series is because the Hurt Business surrounded the ring, and he felt threatened, or it wasn't fair. Just something that's going to make him more annoying. Uh, Bobby's win in this match did not look impressive at all. It just didn't. Um, and I don't know if it's because the match was just more focused on the fact that the Hurt Business was ringside rather than them two actually getting into it. For me, this match was Sami Zayn trying to find a way to get out of it. And not achieving that. And before he could maybe get a dirty heel win, uh, or even get the Hurt Business ejected from ringside, um, he gets locked up in the Hurt Lock, and he taps out. Um, but, in my opinion, I think this was a win-win situation for Sammy. If Sammy were to somehow win this match, regardless of how he won it, it would be fuel for Sammy's greatness. And you would see him walking around with a big chip on his shoulder for the next few weeks, which is a good thing. But 
the fact that he lost this match is also a good thing because of the character that he has presented us with. The character of annoying heel who always finds a way out and always finds a problem with something. So, I don't know. This is just fuel for Sammy's annoyance, and I think that that's great. But it was the most boring match on the card. Um, And as I stated, Bobby's win seemed very not important and just it just happened uh but this brings me to one and two on my predictions because i really thought that sammy was somehow going to pull it out and i hope and pray that someday we get sammy who wrestles again like we all know that sammy can do it we all watched sammy Zayn versus shinsuke nakamura like we know that sammy can deliver insanely good matches um and i really hope that we get there at some point because as much as I love this Sammy that's really just a mouthpiece right now who has some matches from time to time, it is going to get played out at some point. It is going to get to a point where we're like, okay, we need to move on from this and like elevate the character a bit. And I, I hope that we get back to that at some point. But with that being said, we move on to a small backstage segment where Roman Reigns is hounding Jey Uso for losing the match. Um... He explains the reason that Jey Uso lost is because he could not control his team. And he says that Jey Uso cannot control his team because his team does not fear him. And the reason that they don't fear him is because they do not respect him. And if they do not respect him, they do not respect his family, which means they do not respect Roman Reigns. It was a very beautiful chain of events that came out of his mouth. And he basically tells Jey Uso to leave. He's like, get out of my sight. Go away. Go, go, go be with your brother because I don't have time for losers right now. It was very harsh, and I liked it a lot. It made me go oof. And I just wonder, you know, I wonder how diabolical and how mouthy this new Roman Reigns can get. And how much... How much can we see this man do? With that being said, let's move on to the fourth match of the evening, which is Sasha Banks versus Asuka. This is SmackDown Women's Champion versus Raw Women's Champion. And I don't know, this match, uh, this match wasn't bad. I'm not going to say, I don't know, this was just... There was a lot of back and forth in this match. Lots of back and forth. And it made both of them look pretty even. You know? Like, neither of them walked out of this match looking stronger than the other. And I think that that's a good thing. But I also don't think that it's worthy of ending their long, you know, feud that they've had this year. Because the roots of their feud do go back a pretty good ways. And Michael Cole said it himself. This should have been the match that kind of brought their story to an end. But where the win was not definitive for Sasha, it doesn't feel feel that way. Um, I think my problem with this match was that I was comparing it to Bailey versus Sasha at Hell in a Cell. Um... 
But I don't know. I think I need to go back and watch Survivor Series with uh, the high that I rode after it came to an end. Um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But Sasha Banks versus Asuka really just left me feeling like, yeah, good match. Very even. But it feels like it's going to be furthered. I was also very wrong in my predictions that Carmella would somehow interfere and cause Sasha to get the lose. Uh, Sasha's win brings my predictions to one and three. And at this point, I'm like, holy shit, I'm very bad at, res at wrestling predictions. Uh, we move on to the fifth match, which I'm probably going to talk about for a bit. And that is the traditional women's Survivor Series five-on-five -five match. Uh, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, and Lana versus Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Bailey, and Natalia. Now, before the match even started, we are told that Lana is not to tag herself in during this match. She is being forced by the team of SmackDown, or the team of Raw, to not tag in during this match. And I'm confused because I understand why... I understand why Nia and Shayna say it. But I don't understand why all of a sudden Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce are like also not liking Lana. Because they don't really know. They weren't around for all the stuff that was going on. They were just tossed into the mix last second. And Peyton Royce really seemed to be the only one who wanted to quote strategize end quote. So why wouldn't she try to rally them together? Why wouldn't she go hey Maybe you guys should let Lana do something so we actually go into this as, I don't know, a team. But with that being said, this match, this match was not bad, but this match went on, in my opinion, way too long. And the reason I say that is because I, I look at the New Day versus the Street Profits, okay? And I see a match that could have gone for a long time. And then I see this Women's Survivor Series match, and I see a match that could have been cut a little short. So why not trade those two? You know, why not have the women's match go shorter, and then the New Day versus the Street Profits go a little bit longer? And I'm saying that as a completely biased fan. You know, I really wanted to see the New Day versus the Street Profits, so a 15-minute-ish match would have been great, but I just felt like this match went on for eternity. Uh, the match was decent until Lana tagged herself in. She tagged herself in. She defied the odds. And I was like, let's go, Lana. I, I thought it was a really good idea for her to do that. And she actually did a pretty good job in the ring and was making moves and progressing Raw towards, you know, a victory. And then she's tagged out and forced to stand on the stairs. She gets tapped on the shoulder, and they literally yell at her, belittle her, and make her stand on the stairs because she sucks. And it genuinely made me upset. It genuinely made me go, oh my gosh, shut the fuck up, Nia. <laughs> you are getting on my nerves. And kudos to Nia Jax, because her ability to play... And I really don't want to use this word, but her ability to be a bitch is insanely good. She is so good at just making you go, oh, just shut up, just stop, just quit, just stop talking. And kudos to her for that. Because this would not be as believable if it wasn't for her 
natural ability to just be mean. Um, the sympathy was very real. I felt so upset for Lana when she was standing there on those stairs, looking like she's about to cry, looking like a lost puppy, and just, what the fuck can she do at this point? That's what I was thinking. I was like, what can Lana do? She literally just tagged herself in, did a good job. Maybe she was going to put away Natalia. Like, hell yes. What can she do to prove herself to these people? And it left me wondering, how is this going to go? Because in my opinion, all this sympathy that they've been building up for Lana, all of this stuff that they've been doing to make her a big baby face, had to culminate into something. Because if it didn't, it would feel like a waste. And I would say to myself, hey, you're only doing this shit because you're mad at Rusev for going to AEW. And I know that that's stirring the pot, and I know that that's ridiculous, but that's what I felt. So Lana has to do something. For me, something had to come to, like, had to come to fruition. Because if Lana were to go into this match and let's say she got eliminated like first or right off the bat, then I know that you're just picking on her or picking on Miro through Lana, okay? But with that being said, it all makes sense and it all comes to an end. Now, first of all, Peyton Royce eliminating Bailey, big surprise. Big moment. There was a suplex from the top turnbuckle from the top turnbuckle to the outside of the ring onto the group of women while Lana just watched. Big moment. Peyton Royce getting Bailey back in the ring and eliminating her, big surprise. I was shocked by that because it's Bailey. Bailey was SmackDown Women's Champion not too long ago, and yet we have another Seth Rollins moment. She's the first one to go. Very, very shocking. Now, things picked up for me when Ruby Riot technically eliminated Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler has Ruby Riot in the clutch. And Ruby Riot does the thing where she falls backwards, does a backwards somersault, and then pins Shayna's shoulders to the mat. Well, she got a three count, but the referee was freaking distracted by Nia Jax. And by the time the referee turns around and gets back to do the pinfall, he can't because Ruby is out. So, in my opinion, that was a really good visual. That was a really good, like, toss into the ring's uh, chemistry or uh, chemical composition. Just a really good little moment. But at this point, things are a little sloppy and things seem a little meh. I hate to critique. And I hate to be that way. But this is what the podcast is about. The reason this match felt like it went on for too long is because of how unnecessary certain things felt. There was a lot of moments in this match that I think could have been eradicated. There were a lot of moments in this match that I think didn't need to happen, and you could have just skipped it and gone to the outcome that did happen. Um, the beginning of this match, as I said, good. The middle of this match, meh. Things picked up with Ruby Riot, and then they kind of dropped back off because of some sloppy incidents. Uh, that I will not highlight because I'm not here to poke that many holes into professional wrestling matches. But for me, the way that things ended were mm, really easy to talk about. 
So I really liked that Bianca Belair was the last member of SmackDown. It makes sense. We all know that they think very highly of Bianca. We all think highly of Bianca. I think she's great. She's fantastic. Her duking it out and basically bringing it down to the, the final wire was incredible. And I really, really liked the way she wasn't able to make it into the ring. Okay, in my predictions, I thought that Raw would win this match. But I did not think that it was going to go the way that it did. Basically, Bianca Belair is fighting for her life outside the ring with Nia Jax. And she ends up throwing Nia Jax over the barricade. But before she can get in the ring, the referee counts to 10. And that means that Bianca Belair is eliminated. And Nia Jax is eliminated. Which means that Lana is the sole survivor and she wins the match <laughs> for Team Raw. And she instantaneously just gets super happy. Throws her hands up, starts celebrating, starts yelling at Nia Jax. It was a great feel-good moment. But I did not think it was going to happen that way. Now, what I'm about to say is not going to hold any value because at the end of this episode, <laughs> I have a little speech that I want to give that kind of plays off of what I said at the beginning of this episode. At this moment in time, I hate this ending. I hate it. And I think the reason I hate it is because I wanted to see Lana do something better. I wanted to see Lana maybe get a pinfall victory. I wanted to see Lana maybe turn her back on the team. And I'll explain why everything changes at the end of this episode. But as for right now, I hate this ending. But it does bring my predictions up to two and three, which is good. Now, we move on to the main event. Drew McIntyre, the WWE World Heavyweight Champion versus Roman Reigns, the Universal Heavyweight Champion. Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns are going into this match at probably the highest bar that they've ever been. Roman Reigns is officially interesting to me, which I never thought would happen. And in my opinion, he is at the highest point of his career. Drew McIntyre is so over it hurts. Drew McIntyre is so good it hurts. He is also going into this match at his pinnacle. The entrances, the stare-downs, the battle of the belts, everything about this match from the moment Roman Reigns walked out to the very end of the segment, I'll say, was perfect. Everything. This was the best match that I've seen in a long time from WWE. In my opinion, this is match of the year. I'm not going to sit here and run through the match. I'm not going to sit here and try to recreate everything that happened in this match because this is a match that needs to be witnessed. You need to go to the WWE Network and you need to watch Survivor Series 2020 and you need to watch this match. 
if you are a fan of professional wrestling, if you're a fan of WWE, this match is one of those matches that you put on your list. Like, you have to watch this match. I thought that this match was insane. And the high caliber of this match is crazy because it's happening at Survivor Series during a pandemic when there's nobody in the crowd. And there's virtual seats. But this match was so good that it could have happened in an arena full of 80,000 people. And in my opinion, it would have recreated the same emotions that it did. This was a WrestleMania-level match. I Like, I could talk about this for a while, so buckle up. This match was perfectly paced. Perfectly paced. And when I say match, I mean the match and everything else. Perfectly paced is what you want from a WWE match. You want something that feels perfect all the way through. As a matter of fact, as I was live streaming this match on Twitch, or as I was live streaming uh, a watch-along on Twitch, I said something that I wanted to say on this episode. This match was... Okay, you know when you order a big, cheesy pizza, and they bring it out, and you're just like, God damn, that's a nice-looking pizza. <laughs> and then you, you grab your first slice, and you pull it from the pie, and you have that piece of cheese that's just long, and it's, it's just sticking from slice to pie, and you're just pulling it and pulling it, and it's going, and it's going, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. And then it snaps at the very end, and just somehow dangles oh so perfectly for you to eat it. This match was that piece of cheese. <laughs> it was perfect. The sequences in this match were lovely. The ending was exactly what I thought it was going to be, and even more. So, Roman Reigns is obviously a heel character. Obviously. And Drew McIntyre is obviously a gigantic babyface who carries around a sword. Roman Reigns is introducing us to, like, a new version of a heel character. Because he's not just a heel character that's demanding respect. He's a heel character that's earning it. Because throughout history, we see a lot of heels that say, I deserve your respect. I deserve your admiration. But they don't really do anything to earn it. They just do things dirty. They do things nasty. But that's all they do. Roman Reigns is this character that's saying, I deserve your respect, and you're going to give it to me. And I'm going to prove that you need to give it to me by doing the things that I do. And that's what he does. And yes, he does. He has won his matches in very dirty ways. But it's not all he does. He's getting in there and he's going all out. This is the best showmanship that I've ever seen from these two men. Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns are literally at, they're beyond their pinnacle. They are at the top of their careers as far as showmanship goes, and both of them deserve a standing ovation for this match. The final moments of this match were fantastic because we finally see that moment. And let me just clarify that Claymore Kick versus Spear is the perfect battle of finishing maneuvers because either of them can happen out of nowhere, and both of them can counter one another. And that's brilliant. 
You think we're about to get a spear, but what we get is a claymore kick. But also, when the claymore kick happens, it sends Roman Reigns directly into the referee. The referee's thrown out of the ring. The referee's down. I'm literally like getting chills thinking about it because of how good this match was. Jey Uso runs out. Jey Uso does what he can to help his cousin win this match. And he does that. Roman hits Drew McIntyre with a low blow. And what we see is Roman Reigns get this win in a way that makes you go, I don't like it, but I respect it. And then the match is over. Drew McIntyre is visibly upset that he has lost, especially given the way that he has lost. And Roman Reigns walks up the ramp and gives his cousin, Jey Uso, a hug and basically tells him, thank you, you did it. From the moment Roman Reigns' music hits and he walked his tribal chief ass down to the ring to start this match to the moment that Roman Reigns and Jey Uso hug was perfect. This was incredible professional wrestling. This was incredible pacing. This was perfect fluidity. This was insane storytelling. This was the match of the year. And once again, kudos to them for doing this. They could do this exact thing again at WrestleMania, and I think it would be just as good. I cannot get over how good this match was. And what I wanted to say, this is the spiel, the speech that I've wanted to give. This match was so good that it made me realize that sometimes... First of all, this match was so good that any negative feelings that I had towards Survivor Series, I just dropped them. And I walked away from this pay-per-view event completely satisfied and understanding everything. Because as I stated at the beginning of this episode, sometimes you have to stop being so analytical. You have to stop thinking about what could have happened. And you just have to live in the moment and try to appreciate what did happen. And because of how good this match was, this whole event was great. Survivor Series 2020 is probably one of the most important pay-per-view events that I've seen in quite some time. And because of this, everything makes sense to me. It makes sense that Team Raw beat Team SmackDown in the men's match. It makes sense that Bobby shut Sami Zayn up. It makes sense that Lana didn't have to do anything and she ended up being the last person standing. All of it makes sense because... What Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre did for me was it made me shut up and appreciate what they just gave me. They made me appreciate professional wrestling. They made me appreciate what WWE was trying to just give to us. And sometimes it's hard being this type of wrestling fan, okay? Because I can turn the switch off and I can be just fun-loving wrestling mega fan who's been a fan of this shit for a long time And I can just take it for what it is and just watch it and be like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that sucks. Whatever. 
you know, but then the switch comes back on and I'm analyzing everything and I'm thinking about what could have happened and I'm thinking about what I wanted to happen and I'm thinking about the little mistakes and this and that and it even ha- and like the perfect example that I can give you is Roman Reigns is a heel and we all know that. And one thing that bothered me about this match was after it was over, commentary was not highlighting how dirty and how ridiculous it was for Roman Reigns to win the match the way he did. They weren't doing the thing where they were like, oh, well, you know how he won the match? We all saw it. Yada, yada, yada. They weren't doing that. They were like almost praising him. And that's when I told myself to shut the fuck up. Because that's when I was getting too analytical. Instead of being like, holy damn, what a perfect match. I was like, well, they need to be talking about Roman Reigns winning this match as a dirty heel. They need to be talking about the low blow. Why are they not presenting, why are they not pushing Roman as a full heel? And then I was just like, dude, shut up. (laughs) You just got the best match of the year from WWE and you're going to do that shit? And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you have to learn how to turn that shit off and just be a wrestling fan for a moment. This match was incredible. This event, I'll say it, it was incredible. And I thank Drew and Roman and the WWE for pulling me out of that analytical, just hat for a bit. And with that being said, we move on to the final farewell. Oh yeah, by the way, before I move on, three and three on my predictions, I somehow tied myself Whatever. (laughs) The final farewell is an emotional moment for me. And I do want to make an episode of Babble Mania where I just talk about The Undertaker. Because, and this is kind of like the big speech that I just gave, it kind of ties into this as well. Because I've stated on this podcast before that as an analytical wrestling fan who thinks too much about this shit, I've always believed that the GOAT is Chris Jericho. Because of everything he's done and because of how decorated he is and because of the, like, small mistakes that he's made in his career. But there comes a point in time where you kind of have to, like I said, flip the switch down. There is a part of me that will always believe that Jericho is, is... the greatest of all time as far as wrestling goes. But if you were to ask me 10 years ago, and if you were to ask me right now, who's your favorite of all time, I would tell you that it's The Undertaker. And there's a difference between having a favorite wrestler and then having who you think is the, 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 your favorite of all time. Because when you say those three words, when you say of all time, you're bringing out the big guns. Okay, you don't, you don't look at somebody and say, who's your favorite of all time? And then they tell you, oh, Otis. Oh, Ricochet. Oh, uh, Darby Allen. That shit doesn't happen because those people have not had the careers that the legends have had. So when someone says of all time, that's when you start thinking. That's when you're like, oh man, uh, Chris Jericho, uh, John Cena, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker. The Undertaker's name is always on that list. And 
The Undertaker is the reason, the reason that I continued to watch professional wrestling for a long time. And he's up there with some other people. Okay, He's up there with you know the Stone Cold Steve Austins and the Rocks of the world. But The Undertaker is the reason that I tuned into WrestleMania. For years and years and years and years and years. The Undertaker is the reason that I made my sister spend money on pay-per-view events that were expensive at the time. Okay, There was a point in time where these pay-per-view events were $80 a pop. Okay, And I would make her spend money on these pay-per-view events just so I could see The Undertaker. And I did that for years. I did that for probably 10 years. And it's all because of him. The Undertaker is the most incredible, long-living character that has come from the WWE. And if you look me in my eyeballs and you say, who is your favorite of all time right now? It's The Undertaker. And it's like that for a lot of people. The farewell kicks off with so many legends making their way down to the ring. Booker T, Jeff Hardy, who had incredible face paint, by the way. JBL, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Triple H. Just an insane amount of nostalgia stands in the ring. And then we get... The best video package that I may have ever seen in my life as a wrestling fan. I love a good video package. I love the music, the editing, the the throwbacks. I love it all. And I think that this might have been the best video package that I've ever seen. And of course I'm being biased because The Undertaker's, you know, my favorite slash one of my favorites of all time. But when the video package comes to an end and we get back to the ring, all the legends are gone. And I thought it was a little weird because they really didn't say anything. I, I just, I, I expected some type of speech from somebody or one of them to say something or them all to just kind of go around and just maybe say their favorite memory with The Undertaker. I don't know. But when we get back, the ring is empty and Vince McMahon is standing there. And he's probably like one of the most important people that could have stood there. And... He says WWF, which made me giddy as a, as a child. I was excited that he said that. I was like, oh, he said WWF. <laughs> and he gives this beautiful, you know, little just little speech about The Undertaker. And he uh, he introduces him. And we get a great entrance with some Tesla coils. Like, they basically play The Undertaker's theme, which is nuts to think about. Don't know how they did that. Insane. And we get that one last final entrance. I'm actually getting emotional talking about this. <laughs> um, we get one final entrance from The Undertaker. And he he makes his way down to the ring. And he does what he always does. The Undertaker has always been a man of little words. Always. Um, especially when he is the dead man. You know, subtract the American badass from what I just said. As the dead man, the Undertaker's always just said what he needed to say. And that's exactly what he did in this scenario. He he comes down to that ring and he has a microphone and he says to he says to all of us, he says, Hey, for thirty years I've made that long walk to this ring and I've taken soul after soul. 
But now it's time for The Undertaker. He refers to himself in third person to rest in peace. And he drops the microphone and he taunts and we get a beautiful moment of, uh, we get a Paul Bear hologram. And uh, very emotional. And uh, he he kind of like says hello and goodbye to his friend at the exact same time. And then he walks out. And we get that, that last look over the shoulder with the lightning strike. And uh, that's it. And it's... It's it's a perfect reminder as to what I stated earlier. Um, I predicted, and not going to lie, a bit of me wanted The Fiend to, uh, to attack The Undertaker. Or at least, n- maybe not even attack him. Maybe, maybe just pop up. Just a face-off or something like that. And like a nod of the hat. Just, just imagine if the like if the fiend popped up and the Undertaker stood against him face to face, and then just tilted his hat and walked past him, you know, something like that, just something, and it didn't happen, and that's okay, you know, that's that's fine. Not everything you want needs to happen, and let's be honest, the Undertaker. If there's any superstar that deserves to go out not on his back, not being beaten up, not crying, it's The Undertaker. The Undertaker deserves to walk tall out into the sunset. This man gave 30 years of his life to this business. This man is the most dedicated person to his character that m- has ever existed at this point in time. And who who knows what things are going to be like in 20 years. But like I said, you got to live in the now, okay? The Undertaker is the best of all time in the WWE. The Undertaker is one of the greatest of all time, period, in the world of professional wrestling. And the fact that this man transcended professional wrestling but stayed in professional wrestling is great. He didn't go to Hollywood and pursue movies. Okay, He didn't go off and try other sports. He didn't go to MMA. He didn't you know, quit because he was mad about a decision that was being made. This man stayed within the business and is a juggernaut in the ring, in the world of professional wrestling, in the locker room, this man is revered for a reason. And despite the small hiccups that he had in his long, long career, despite the match with Goldberg at Saudi Arabia, despite Lesnar ending the streak, despite everything that made us question The Undertaker's authenticity, he still goes down in history as the creation of all time. And when The Undertaker is gone, his legacy is going to live forever. As long as professional wrestling exists, 
the Undertaker will exist. And that is just the way it is. One day I am going to do an entire episode on this man. And one day I will do an entire episode where I explain why I say the things I say. Because I know that I can be confusing. Okay, I know that you're probably sitting there like, you said Chris Jericho is the greatest of all time. Why are you saying these things about The Undertaker? Why are you saying he's the greatest of all time? It's, it's just the way that my brain works. It's a matter of what I said earlier. You know, being the overdramatic, analytical wrestling fan versus the just wrestling fan. And this event has really kind of made me take a step back, to be completely honest. And just be a little bit more nonchalant and non-analytical about it. And I think that that's a good thing. But you would be stupid to, th- to, to say that The Undertaker's not the greatest slash one of the greatest of all time. Because we all have opinions. You know, we all have reasons for thinking the way that we do. But um, it's The Undertaker. And it always will be The Undertaker. And with that being said, this episode walks off into the night to fade away. Uh, Survivor Series 2020 is in the bag. On the beard scale, <clears throat> this was a solid event. Uh, moments and matches so good and so memorable that I walked out feeling completely satisfied and emotional. This pay-per-view event gets a beard that has grown for 30 years, but now it's time to shave in peace. Thank you for listening to Babblemania. I will talk to you guys next time. Follow me on Instagram at Babblemania. Follow me on Twitch at Young Facial Hair, Twitch TV, yada, yada, yada. I do live uh, reactions and watch-alongs. That's what I like to call them, to professional wrestling events. And uh, check out my music on Spotify. The link is down there, Rap Game Bray Wyatt. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to The Undertaker. Phenom forever. Farewell and smooches. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. <laughs>